0: The finish line is not the close, right? That's just like the start to the race. And once you're done syndicating the deal, not that you're out of it, but new lead members or lead cast members kind of jump in. Your property manager comes in, your, your tactical assets person. Maybe if you're doing renovations, you have, you know, your you know, construction manager, you know, type of person. And all of them need to get a hold of me, right? Or get a hold of the insurance person and, you know, across your deals. So it is, I see more and more as I work with the same property managers, the same lenders, the same asset managers, right? And we just know.
1: You're listening to Ice Cream with Investors, a podcast that is dedicated to teaching you how to better invest your money so that you can live a more intentional life. I'm your host, Matt Four, and it is my goal to teach and empower you to remove the roadblocks to your financial success. All right, welcome back to the show, everyone. Today we have on Matt Sudika. Matt is a leading expert in the multifamily insurance space and is our chief insurance officer at OB, an insurance and portfolio management platform for real estate investors. Before going to OB, he was one of the State Farm's top leading agents, and Matt founded Skylight Insurance, which eventually was acquired by OB. Having a good insurance partner is one of the keys to building a successful team in the multifamily space, and Matt's here to teach us more about that today. So I'm just going to shut up and say, Matt, welcome to the show.
0: Hey, thanks for having
1: me. Absolutely. Well, we like to start off with the difficult questions here. What is your favorite ice cream?
0: Uh, I'm going to go mint chocolate chip
1: you are the first person to say that. And so I don't know, I I haven't really sprinkled this out much, but that would be the answer I would give. And it's because when I was a kid, my dad said, you should get mint chocolate chip because no one else likes mint chocolate chip. So no one will ask you for a taste of yours. And you can have all the ice cream to yourself.
0: That's funny. I, I, I totally thought that would be a popular flavor, but you know, I'm, I'm, I grew up in a one-stop light town. So, you know, sometimes, you know, what we had available, we thought was, oh, everybody was doing it. You know, I find out even, uh, we had like four sports in in school, and then I found out later in life that other schools had yeah. like twenty five sports. So, you know, it might be the same thing. We had vanilla, mint chocolate chip, and chocolate. So, you know, pick yep. your pick, pick your favorite. Yep.
1: Well, beyond having a fantastic name, you also have a good ice cream choice.
0: Thank you. <laughs> Thank you.
1: <laughs> well, Matt, tell our listeners what this what's the scoop? What do you do today?
0: Uh, very simple. We are completely in the habitational space as it relates to insurance. So we have. You know, two sides of our company. First side is a little bit more of a, an insure tech feel, right? It's a, a instant product that you can go to our site. This is really for that one to four unit, 50 state type product. So if you're a, one, a listener who is heavily in that space, whether you have one or a thousand, you know, we're a great, fast, uh, inexpensive option where you can get insurance. And then our other side of the house is a little bit more on the uh, consultant side, uh, where we're dealing with uh, larger multifamily investors who you know, need some help as it relates to putting their letters of intent together. And then, of course, they're going to need that help and assistance once they're under contract, going through all the lender requirements, et cetera. So, you know, we're really built for this space where uh, most insurance brokers are generalists, i.e. they'll take anything and help with everything. We're very specific to the HAB space, uh, which allows us to be, uh, you know, a better expert for everybody.
1: Yep, that's exactly where I was saying. If you do one thing, you can really do it really, really well. Whereas if you do everything, chances are you might know a little bit about it, but some of the ins and the outs and the trends that hopefully we're going to talk about soon, um, you you might not have awareness to. But before we get into all the insurance space, we were having a conversation beforehand about your real estate journey. Can you just walk us through uh, your real estate journey and your first investment property that you you purchase?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, This is pretty exciting because I'm just getting to the start of my real estate journey, but I had uh, thought about it for years, right? Um, I wanted to get into real estate back probably two, three, four years ago, and I was probably like a lot of your listeners. I didn't have the money, or for me, my all my money was in my business, right? So I knew that I had to use my business to produce more money, so then that way I could, you know, get in. So uh, I spent the last three or four years building within the real estate space, you know, earning money to take care of employees first, you know, expenses and things like that. And then I finally, about in the last year, got to a thing where I had money that was going to be what I call retirement money or future future Matt money, right? Or really future Matt's wife's money. But uh, <laughs> that's another thing. And, you know, so uh, I did my first deal with my uh, college roommate, my buddy. Uh, he wants to get in the space as a realtor. We did a single family up in a place called The Villages, which I know you know, Matt. Uh, with common ties there once again. Um, So we did our first deal, very cool, just a brand new uh, little single family. Uh, We bought it for about 197, market was very good right now. Uh, We were actually selling it on Monday for 291. So, you know, nice little profit uh, right over the year mark. So we have a little bit of good things on the tax wise. Uh, And it was a fun adventure. We, you know, uh, my wife and I and him got to, you know, go through all the processes of buying and getting it rented out and all that stuff. So that was really cool. And then really my main focus is um, I spent a lot of time in the large uh, multifamily space where I work with a lot of people who are syndicating deals. And, you know, I'm just starting my journey of being able to have the funds to invest into those deals as uh, a limited partner. Um, I learned last week at an event about the GP space a little bit and how you can bring money to it and everything. So that's kind of probably on my next Uh, journey in the space, but really my overall goal to wrap it up was I wanted to do insurance in a space that I really liked. And so that I could use that insurance proceeds to invest back in that space that I really liked. And hopefully have this full circle type of uh, approach over the next 20, 30 years. By the time I'm ready to hang up my insurance shoes, hopefully have a lot of money in real estate because of it. So that's kind of my current journey and future journey with real estate and insurance.
1: You're in the space, you know, the operators, you understand what a good deal looks like from an insurance standpoint. You're now learning what it looks like from a financial standpoint, but you take your money that you make by selling insurance and invest it in real estate. So you can really truly become that expert Um, on the single family side. Why did you all start in the villages? Why did you start with a single family home? Like help us understand that.
0: You know, I wish I had a great answer as far as like, I did a bunch of research and this is the place, but, uh, and maybe I did just subconsciously, uh, COVID happened. We lived in Chicago, my wife and I, we moved down, uh, literally overnight on a Saturday to go spend a month down in Florida. My parents lived there in the villages. So we were just going to rent for a month. A month became two months. And while we were there renting, we were seeing the just crazy money that, these rentals were getting and had some time on our hands, right? Because we couldn't go out and do anything. So I just started to, I'm like, wow, you could buy these for X and they're getting these rents. And I'm seeing where we couldn't even find a rental because they were so busy. So that kind of just led me to, you know, that there was some demand. Uh, we needed a place anyways because we were building our house. So we decided to move to Florida permanently during that. And so I was like, I started to do the math. I was like, you know, hey, hey, Laney, my wife. I was like, we should just buy one of these. We'll rent it for the first three months. It's cheaper. Rent it out. And so that's kind of how all it kind of snowballed through was one, I just saw opportunity. Uh, wish I would have bought uh they all denied me. I wanted to buy 10 of them and it would have been an amazing investment. But uh, we went with one and uh yeah, it was just kind of opportunity met interest, met you know what we needed at the time, and uh it worked out, it could have went the other way, but. Uh, there was a lot of uh, lessons in it. And I'm glad it ended with lessons plus money. instead so, yeah. of you know, lessons minus money, which has been a lot of an entrepreneur's, you know, start to the thing. But uh, yeah, it was good. That's how we picked it.
1: Yeah, I um, I want to take out a highlight from that and talk about the Villages. So the Villages is a retirement community down in Florida. I think most people know that Florida is just getting a huge influx of people, yourself being one of them through COVID and coming down to warmer weather. But the the point of me saying or trying to highlight this is, maybe some listeners out there don't even know about the villages. And there are these pockets throughout the country that have, Um, these little niches that are just tremendous returns that not a lot of people know about. You don't need to go to the Nashville's, the Atlanta's, the Chicago's of the world to go find good properties. There are the Gatlinburg's, the Branson's, Missouri's, the villages, Florida's out there that are just these undertapped markets that not a lot of folks know about. And shoot, maybe not all of them turn a uh, $100,000 profit in a year, but there are areas where you can uh, be really, really successful.
0: Yeah. And as a side note, I am far from a genius on this, but just my, uh, Matt's quick thoughts, because I've seen it with buying a Lennar home for our regular home and seeing, uh, the price, you know, uh, just go crazy right now in the market. I think there's also some value and it might be just right now where I'm seeing that people who are buying brand new homes, uh, whether it's through Lennar or like a builder, they're not, overpaying as much as what you are in the market, like buying a house. And so I've seen some of that happen. And that's what happened to us too, is the, the villages was kind of fixed, right? So you can get in these communities that um, they're not, they, they can't just go increase things by hundred percent on their new builds because they have to be very, you know, in line, right? Like, I don't know if they're regulated, but they're, you know, they're staying within a certain thing where you can buy it, hold it for a year. And you take advantage of times like now where everything's skyrocketing. And, you know, where if you were buying something right now in the market, you're paying that higher amount, you're not going to really get that appreciation as much. So that's one thing we took advantage. Of. And it was the same thing with our house down here in uh, the Bradenton area. You know, it's gone up almost 400, 500 K since March when we, we bought it. And we've done nothing to it other than just, you know, it's crazy Florida market. So and we went with a builder and probably if he was selling the house market would have sold it for that. But we were locked in, you know, due to. So yep, just another yep. thought to as People are looking.
1: I mean, that's definitely a uh, riskier strategy, I would say, but I know yeah. a contact here in Nashville that that's what he does. What he does is he gets with builders who have bought the land who have are starting the process of building and he will put basically a down payment on it. And it's a spec build for him, right? If the market continues to uh, move in his favor and a tailwind in his favor, then he'll sell the home to someone else when it's time, when the the building is built or the house is built. If it doesn't, then he uses his down payment and he does one of two things. He either walks away from it because it's only 10K on a 500K home or something like that. And he just lost that 10K in like an options contract. Or he will go through with the closing and just rent it out and just make a little bit of cash flow, not what he wanted to make, but a little bit of cash flow. And again, I'm not saying that that's going to work in every market. I'm not going to say that that's the best strategy to pursue if you want safety and stability, but it is a a way to start thinking about how can you place these little bets across many different homes and if the upside is asymmetrical if you win.
0: Absolutely. And, and don't take me from advice that way. I'm still, I'm the insurance guy, right? It's yeah. a, and that's But those are just things I've seen in my entrepreneur brain can't help but start to just put some things together and see if it's legit or not.
1: Yeah, we're gonna have to nerd out after this, because I'm in the process of trying to find a new house in Nashville. And that's actually a strategy I'm looking at is how do I put yeah. a 10k down? down payment on like a $700,000 home. And if the market appreciates, then I just sell my, my down payment and as an options contract. And if I, not, I, hey, I need a new home anyway. So
0: absolutely. Just don't have a brand new baby slash pregnant wife when you're trying <laughs> to accomplish the sale, because they tell you just like she's telling me with my current home that I want to sell that she's not moving the nursery set up, you know, all that. So yep. Yeah. As long as you don't have that holding you back, you should be okay.
1: Yeah, that's hilarious. Well, I want to shift gears now and talk about the area where you're uh, truly an expert in, and that is the insurance space for multifamily. So, um, I guess I don't I don't know where to start this conversation other than help us understand why we need a good insurance broker or provider as part of a good multifamily
0: team. Yeah, that's a that's a perfect place to start. I mean, I think as you're getting into your journey or you've been in your journey, you've, you know, you figured it out that, you know, the, there is a finish line at the end of of closing, right? And a lot of people really, that's what they concentrate on. And these are really like five to seven year journeys. If you really think about it, when you're buying an asset uh, you know, especially in the larger one that you're going to hold on to. And so I think partnership is really important to help get deals closed, but I think also partnership, you know, it goes beyond the close. Uh, you know, to start with, you know, you're wanting someone from a lending perspective or a property management perspective or an insurance perspective to, you know, guide you through different economic climates, right? You know, uh, because you're going to go through those over seven years. So I think what's important about bringing on partners for everything you need to do is that they're not going to just look at it as a one-off either, right? They're going to really take advantage and help you out. And they'll know, like, for instance, there's a lot of times where I'll do things um, to help on the premium in some years, you know, or, you know, we'll be more aggressive or we're putting numbers together for, you know, an LOI. And you can really uh, strategize when you work with the same person over and over again. Uh, You know, and then the high level stuff is clearly if you have an expert that you've worked with before, you know what they're wanting you to, you know, gather during due diligence for them. They, you know that they're going to know your lender probably because you're working with the same lender, uh, most likely a lender broker, right? Um, you know that they're going to get it closed for you. At the end of the day, that's the thing that's most important. You've done all the work to get under contract. You, you got to close. So you have to have people on the team that are just, you can close your eyes at night and know, hey, this will get done. And I think that's what's important about you know, the space, because at the end of the day in insurance, um, and I'm, you know, I can't speak for the other ones, but, You know, there's only so many carriers and price is pretty similar, you know, uh, broker to broker. So it really comes down to the more intangible things of just someone who can get it done and really make sure that you're uh, closed. And then the last piece I'll mention that a lot of people don't talk about is the insurance broker gets access to a lot of data um, for your, you know, your purchase, Uh, crime score, uh, we get access to claims, losses, history, you know, we get access to things from floods. So we can also use a lot of that data to help that, you know, person syndicating the deal to either A, walk away from a deal, right? If it's potentially that bad, or B, go back to the seller for some credits on some things So we found out the roofs aren't really new, right? Like they said, so on the OM, because the OMs are always, you know, a source of truth, right? Um, So there's a lot of things that your insurance person, when you're working as a partner, will provide you beyond just, hey, here's your price, uh, you know, for uh, that. And then, um, you know, the other piece is when you get a partner who's doing a lot of deals for you, their team will uh, help you on your LOIs. You know, you might do 20 LOIs to get under contract in one. And if an insurance person knows that you're a partner and you're going to work with them when you do go under contract, they're willing to take all that time uh, of their team to do those LOIs for you that are really, there's no money in that, right? Um, and, but they're willing to do it because it's part of the team. It's like, hey, I'm going to do 20 with this guy or gal because when they do go under contract, they're not going to then send it to Billy over here at this other broker. They're going to work with me. So that's kind of uh, the overall of why have a partner and, you know, and treat a partner that way instead of just a, a commodity or like, hey, go get me a, a quick price.
1: Yeah, there's a book out there by Stephen Covey called The Speed of Trust that talks about basically how you develop trust. But also once you have that trust established, you already start to know what that person is looking for and the nuances of what they need. And you can move much faster once you have that. Um, And one of the best pieces of advice I ever got as I was going down this journey was to pick one insurance carrier, one insurance provider and work with them with everything. And so for my single family portfolio, for instance, I have seven different properties. I had 10, I have seven now, and all of them are with one person. And that other one that I sold, the triplex that I had sold recently had a different insurance provider. So now anytime I was thinking about insurance, when it was due, uh, when my renewal was, if I needed to file a claim, the T's and C's, because I was going through an underwriting process and they need those insurance documents, I had to stop, think, who has this? How do I reach out to them? Who is, what's their email address again? Versus when you pick one and you decide that that's the partner you're gonna have, it just makes things smoother and moves faster. And not only do you know what they need, but it's always the same person that you're going back to, which just takes that mental cloud of who do I go to for what out of the way.
0: Absolutely. And you have to remember too is, you know, like I said, the finish line is not the close, right? That's just like the start to the race. Yep. And once you're done syndication, syndicating the deal, not that you're out of it, but new uh, lead members or lead cast members kind of jump in. Your property manager comes in Your your tactical assets person. Uh, maybe if you're doing renovations, you have you know your you know construction manager, you know type of person. And all of them need to get a hold of me, right? or get a hold of the insurance person and you know across your deals. So it is I see more and more as I work with the same property managers, the same lenders, the same asset managers, right? And we just know, and it's it's almost gets to the point where if someone calls me and says, Hey, I, I need something, I just almost go to that property manager without even asking because I just assume that they mm-hmm. they have it. And those relationships are really, really good uh, when you let kind of your people, you know, be partners with each other too, right? If people don't think about that, you know, it really grows a strong network when you have, yeah, your, your, your people all being each other's people. It just, it really scales and does a good job that way.
1: Yep, I love that. Um, so I want to get now into some of the details. What should, if I'm uh, putting together a multifamily syndication, what are the things that I should be looking for in my insurance policies? And then like, what are the things that are nice to have, but not, necess- not a necessity?
0: Yeah, I think that's good. I mean, the, the nice thing is uh, insurance is so regulated from the lender um, on things that you're, you're always going to be protected for everything I would say you need to have, right? In addition, your broker's going to look over things too. And, and so that's a really good fail safe or a really good uh, foundation is that, you know, uh, we're working with the lender and their consulting team on every single deal to make sure that every coverage, I mean, we're going line by line to make sure that everything that's needed for this particular location is on there, right? So the have to haves are going to be done, if anything. Uh, and if you work with me, sometimes, uh, we're fighting that those actually back down, then, you know, worried about, you know, not being enough on there. The nice to haves, uh, will be things like, uh, backup of sewer and drain. Right. And and I think that's an important coverage. A lot of carriers have it built in, but if it's not, you know, that could be something that is, um, an extra option that you talk to your client about. I think umbrella is a, a, um, usually a required, but at what amount and you really want to think about you know okay, it's required at five million and for those who are unfamiliar with an umbrella, it's it's additional uh, liability. So you know you own an apartment complex and someone slips and falls, right and that injury goes over your one million dollar GL that you have, then your umbrella kicks in next. It's kind of the it, you know it's exactly that it sits over top of your general liability. Um, so a lot of times that is something to consider, you know, do, you know, 5 million is required, but you know, do do I want 10, do I want 25? And I won't take a ton of time on the show here today, but those are things that, you know, you can talk through with your broker, you know, why you would maybe want more or less, um, flood is usually a required, not a required, uh, item. So what I will say is there's very few just nice to have that we're in conversations on on these larger deals, because everything is so black and white as far as, you know, what we want to cover and and need to cover. And really um, I don't see as many people outside of that adding on additional things. Um, You know, what I do see actually as a side note is people putting things in like a program called uh, RLL, which is renter's legal liability program, which uh, you can put in, it's like eight bucks a unit uh, per month for you to add into the rent. That gives you uh, instant renters coverage basically for your tenants, uh, protects you on the liability side for five or six cause of losses that usually the tenant is causing, like overflow uh, flowing toilets, you know, small little kitchen fires that you can either A, reduce your claim exposure on your large policy, or you know, uh, you know, B, use higher deductibles on that to save yourself money right? Because you are covered for that smaller stuff. So the only thing you would ever have to turn in is a large tornado hits or something, right? Um, So yeah, so that's kind of what I would look for is, you know, once again, if you have good partners, you're using good lenders, things like that, you're going to be covered for the have-to-haves, the nice-to-haves. If you have a partner, you'll kind of learn those over time and you'll have the same conversations. Um, And then they'll, once again, they'll be looking for additional programs like we do that help enhance your. uh, your, uh, your deal.
1: Yeah. One of the things as I was learning about you and learning, uh, doing some research for the pro this podcast was the RLLs. So I just want to make sure I understand that correctly. Basically, if I am the owner of a building, I can have an RLL coverage, which basically says that this is the mandatory renter's insurance that I'm going to mandate the renter, the tenant have anyways, and they'll just pay me $8 a month or a fee, for example, to cover that RLL on my insurance policy. Is that essentially in line there?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, most people just add it into the rent. It's also kind of, uh, you can use it in a legal way as a revenue generator because- yep. If you require renter's insurance, most people are going to pay 15, 20 bucks a month uh, for that. So you could charge a similar amount and anything over the eight would be, you know, an additional profit to your, uh, you know, to your deal, which is, that's what, you you know, you're either raising rents or doing other things to create. This is another good revenue generator. I see some people moving that amount up to $30, you know, uh, a month. And what it really does is not only provides coverage where you're not worried about someone having a policy, not having a policy, but think about your leasing staff, how much time they spend month to month with cancellation notices of renters policies, because the average tenant, right? I'm not speaking bad about anybody. They get their their state farm renters policy on day one, They their lease, they're all signed up. And then they, like two weeks later, they'll just like let it lapse or they'll cancel it or whatever. Cause they're like, Oh, my leasing agent will never follow up. Right. So they do a lot of that type of thing um and so then yeah your leasing agents uh, either have to follow up on that or and send out notices of you know you're in trouble or whatever <laughs> or you know you're unprotected you know those policies are just not in place so this is really great and you can use it and the same way as when you offer uh you know internet built in or uh cable built in some apartments you go in and it's like hey part of your rent includes 30 channels, internet, and uh, uh, a beer down in the lounge every other Friday, right? You know, you have those things built in. You just pay for water yourself or whatever. So most people just add it in like that. You got your built-in thing. And I think you can use it as a positive, you know, as well. I think tenants, you know, overall, uh, the only mistake I would never make is separating it out as a line item. Uh, No different than probably the internet and all those other ones, because the, the normal human when it's built into the regular rent is like, okay, because that's what the rent is. You know, if all of a sudden it was like thousand for rent and then, oh, by the way, we're going to charge you $8. You yeah, know, I can't believe it. It's like charging a dollar a month for Facebook. It just would never happen. Yep. yep. Oh, I've
1: (laughs) I've seen my cable bill. I know exactly all those little charges where I'm like, what in the world is this fee? But no, I I don't want to breeze over that because that is absolutely genius. If you own real estate today, you should absolutely mandate that your residents have a renter's insurance because from a liability standpoint for you and for a liability standpoint for them. But also just including it in the cost helps alleviate the burden of a leasing agent, which that's a great point that I didn't even think about. How much time do you want them spending running down lapsed renters insurance policies versus trying to find new tenants for or new residents for units that you may have open? Um, So that's that's just don't want to breeze over that. I want to ask this question. I've heard that there's three different types of coverage for insurance in um, real estate. And again, I'm a little over my ski, ski tips when we talk about insurance here. Could you maybe go over those different types uh, for our listeners out there?
0: Yeah. So you know the 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 three types. You know, is is uh, we could go anyway with this, but uh, the the things that you should consider most of the time and the the conversations you're going to be having is you know, what is your building covered for in amount? So I got a four unit or whatever. And what is it covered for? Oh, the building's covered for a million dollars, right? That coverage can be either full replacement or it can be actual cash value. Uh, between me and your listeners, I had to do actual cash value. You know, we're doing replacement cost policies because just too many times in life, we have people that say they want ACV when they're wanting a lower premium and then they're really mad once a claim happens. So we're 99.99, and I'd even wanna round that up uh, using replacement costs. It's just, you know, um, it's just something that uh, you want to do, right? You know, especially uh, once a claim happens. And so the difference between those is, you know, replacement, if you had a 17 year old roof and it blows off, you know, you're gonna get a brand new roof, right? where on the actual cash value, you have a 17-year-old roof that, you know, was $20,000 brand new, but now it's depreciated 80% and, you know, it's only worth 4K, well, the insurance company is just going to cut you a check for 4K, right? And then you got to, you know, do that new roof, right? And um, in small circumstances, that's okay. But if, you know, you got 20 buildings, right, it could be pretty disastrous for your NOI um, on that. So that's one coverage. Deductibles are always a big thing. Um, there is a simple adage that I talk about on deductible deductible is, you know, your contribution to a claim, right? When you turn in a claim, that's the amount you're going to pay uh, for your listeners who you know, may or may not know. And, you know, you could be as low as 510k, you could be upwards to 50 or 100k under deductibles. And to me, it's a very simple math and uh, an easy story is to think about your journey over seven years. And, you know, what's this say, see what your savings is between, let's call it a 50K deductible and a 5K deductible. So that I can do an easy story here. Let's just say that's, you know, 10K a year, right? You say, all right, my journey over seven years, I'll save that 10K every year, you know, 70K. But one time, you know, Matt can call me out of the blue and I have to hand him over 25K or 50K, whatever the deductible is. And if I'm willing to make that trade, then it makes sense. Um, you know, basically saying, I'd rather hold on to my money and if something happens, then I'll I'll go out. Now if I get two losses, well then, you know, that that end up not being the best strategy. But most of the time you're you should only be dealing with, on average, you know, one decent sized claim over maybe a seven year period that you know, I at least quate for. Other than that, it's just as un- unlucky as CoVID hitting and people not paying their rent, right? So, um, that's deductible. You have your liability, which we discussed a little bit, so I won't take a ton of time on that, but that's going to cover you for anything that you're liable. People, you know, slip and fall or hurt themselves, fall on the stairs, things like that um, and beyond. So those are really the main coverages that you're going to probably talk to your agent or broker the most about. And uh, for time's sake, I'll say that, you know, uh, on your first deal, you know, spend that extra 15, 20 minutes and just go through it with your broker and you'll start to be familiar with those high level terms. Uh, but overall once again very regulated very um, very uh, firm industry right now with lending and everything so all those things I just mentioned are very much going to be in place for you because the lender's not going to let me bind anything uh, that's below any of the you know uh, high quality coverages that you need
1: yeah I um I want to double down on the replacement cost versus cash value cost because cash value, essentially what you're saying is that they're they're taking the depreciation, not the taxable depreciation, the actual depreciation off of the building. So I might buy a million dollar building with a 20 year old roof. And if it needs, if something happens, then I'm losing that 20 years that's already been depreciated off that roof. Whereas the replacement cost says, no, that roof was brand new. Let's just pretend like it's brand new because we need to replace the roof. Then we're going to replace the overall value of that. So I didn't want to breeze over that. Um, are you having to go double click and relook at some of the replacement costs on your, on your clients' insurance policies because of the labor shortages, cost of goods, inflationary environment we're seeing in asset prices?
0: Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I wish I had a simple question. It seems, uh, deal by deal, but yes, uh, all of the carriers in general have their own replacement cost tools and they are fighting that right now of how much to add in, you know, for it, you know, uh, so it, it's definitely a hard environment right now. There's a lot going on to where, you know, the biggest thing that people get, uh, mixed up on replacement cost is they, they can't uh, uh, differentiate the difference between replacement cost and market value, right? And so you use San Francisco for an example, right? A $100,000 home to rebuild might have a market value of 5 million there, right? Like uh, because of the land and the, you know, where it's located and all that stuff. So, you know, that I'm seeing a lot right now too. It's where the replacement cost is not anywhere close to the market value, Uh, Or you could have the opposite happen, right, To where, you know, um, where it's not as much market value as what it costs to actually replace the building. And so I think those are key right now that we're doing because of the market being so, you know, juiced up for on the sales side is that, you know, the lender typically wants the replacement cost to be um, equal to or more than the loan. And so we're getting a lot of that situation where the replacement cost in our carrier size is, you know, $20 uh, but the loan's thirty-four million because it's a beautiful place in California, and they're wanting us to move the RC up fourteen million to you know cover a loan, right? And so those are some interesting things that are happening right now. That you know having a good partner to kind of help you fight that, if you will, I call it you know go to battle for you is is pretty key because definitely uh, not always does every person in that understand what's going on, and you got to really be able to. You know, help that out, or you could be adding a lot of money to the on the wrong side to an NOI. Yep, yep.
1: Um, brilliant, brilliant point and uh, learning lesson there. One of the questions I've been dying to ask someone in the in, uh, in insurance industry is about this idea of owning property in coastal towns where sea levels are rising and hurricanes appear to be getting more intense. Are you seeing the underwriting of properties like in a Houston, a Tampa, a Miami, and things like that? The insurance costs rising on those, or how do, how is the insurance industry looking at that right now?
0: Yeah, I mean those are really tough areas that you you know you uh, added Texas in general, Florida in general. Right now, we are in a uh, a hard market. Um, you know, it goes through three to five year kind of spans, but yeah, right now those areas. I can't tell you from an investment side, yes or no, but from an insurance side, you know, if it was 500 a door, uh, a year or two ago, it's seven, eight, nine hundred $900 a door. Uh, now, um, there's a lot of, there's less carriers wanting to even write there. I mean, Miami-Dade right now, um, most carriers that you, you talk to, they have something on their website that says like, we like everybody, but Miami-Dade County. Right. So, Some of those areas are really, really tough. There's nothing that I would say is in where I can't get a policy. It's just, you might not like it. It's kind of my phrase right now. So it's definitely something to consider. And I think why most of our partners come to us at LOI before they're under contract. So they can kind of see what that looks like to see if it still works for their numbers before going under contract and then finding out, um, You know, in addition to all those areas you just mentioned, most likely a lot of them will need flood And that's something a lot of people forget to even think or ask about. And flood right now is your number one insurance cost, as far as like a, uh, you know, as a as a ratio to coverage to cost. I mean, it is very expensive right now.
1: Yeah, I think you um, kind of affirmed what my thought was, and that's if you're looking at deals in those coastal markets or on the seabed, and um, somebody sends you a T12. You want to triple check those insurance costs because like you're you're saying, as an example, it might be $500 a door on their T12, but going forward, it's going to be $900 a door. You spread that out over 200 doors, that starts to become a significant difference in the way the property has been performing versus what it will be performing. So I just encourage everybody to double check that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Matt, fantastic conversation. I want to continue down this, but I want to also be cognizant of your time. So I'm going to switch us to the, the final round here. We're calling this All The right, Five right. Toppings. Our first one is, what is your favorite book or what is a book you've read recently that's given you a paradigm shift?
0: Um, you know, I think my favorite book um, is, uh, what I've been reading later is, is Mr. Popper's Penguins uh, for my child. But um, I, um, I like a book called Traction uh, yep. that's out there. Uh we've done a lot with that with our company as far as implementing the L10 uh, type meetings and everything like that. I'm a very systematic person who likes to be very organized. And uh, I think others would call me like OCD, maybe, you know, the, the thing. But yeah, that, that's a great book. If you're looking to really um, take your organization at a certain size and, and start to really have uh, meetings that mean a lot and, you know, you then they're not just blowing smoke about each other for 30 minutes that's a really good book to take your organization and, uh, organize it. Yeah. So I, I, that's a book that I've recently in the last year. Um, and I really like that one a lot.
1: Yep. It's a fantastic one. I would definitely agree with that. Um, our second one is that I believe that the person you will become 10 years from now is directly correlated to the habits that you have, uh, in your life. What is something that you do every single day or what are some of your habits?
0: Uh, Once again, I'll speak to organization. The the very first thing that I do uh, when I get going in the morning is, you know, is organize the day for myself and for my entire team. We use a lot of Excel type models and CRMs and everything like that. So um, I am a big fan of like uh, uh, if you love football, the coach always has those first 10 plays like scripted out right and ready to go. And then the rest is a game plan based off of how things change. And we kind of take I try to take that same mentality. I try to script out the first 10 plays of the day, uh, knowing that we have good players after that to kind of, uh, you know, change the schemes as uh, the defense or offense rolls into uh, of the day. So that's that's big for me is really kind of visioning that day out and scripting it as much as possible. And then, you know, Hail Mary's from there.
1: Yeah, man, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting that everybody basically says it's something along the same line, anyone who's successful. And that's just understand what you're trying to accomplish for the day and make sure you have those three critical tasks or 10 plays written down. Um, our third one is what's the best piece of advice you've ever received?
0: You know, I, I, love this question and I always answer, I think different. I always say that the best advice that I've ever received for me personally has been the best advice and I haven't taken it. Um, I've always, oh, you know, and I know that's, that's different, but uh, um, I've gotten a lot of advice in my life and it's always been like, you can't do this. Don't do this. Don't do that. So I always flip this question and say that, you know, make sure you take that advice, but like know A, who it's coming from and be what you're capable of, because, you know, advice is, is really just words and then it's what you do with it, right? And people say, oh, it's advice because he told me to do something and I went and did it, right? But you can also do the opposite where they say, you can't do this and you look and say, why not? Or I can and then do it. And that's been kind of my, you know, career. Um, I was told, of, you know, too young to open a state farm, did it, uh, told I was crazy to give up that top state farm and go open a, a brokerage for scratch for a real estate company. We did it. Uh, everyone in the insurance tech said, you know, Matt, you're wasting your time in the insured tech space. And now over with Obi, which is uh, probably a top 10 insured tech company. So, um, and that's family, friends, and, you know, even some loved ones in on that uh, advice not taken. But um, I, I think if you know your value and what you can do, you know, you can take advice either way.
1: God, I love that because sometimes the advice doesn't matter because of the person delivering it more than the person receiving it. So that's, that's fantastic there. Um, our fourth one is what's the thing that you're most proud of in your life?
0: Um, well, right now, and you know, I'm glad you're just recording this. So if I, I tear up, I mean, it's my kid. I mean, to be, uh, <laughs> but yeah, we just had a a nine week old boy named Penn. Uh, we tried for geez, uh, four or five years so that is like number one to me right now. Uh, work-related, right? Because we're on a, a work-related podcast. I'll say it's that I've, I started and now I'm on my third or fourth company. And I still have employees at the company today that started with me 10, 15 years ago at my state farm. And so I think I'm most proud of the fact that I've made a lot of mistakes as a boss. I've probably been a hothead when I shouldn't have been and maybe didn't pay as much here and there, all these different things. But I've always cared about my employees and tried to do the best. And So I think that's most proud is that I still have employees. They've traveled states, they've traveled companies, they've done all kinds of stuff that, you know, they followed me in this journey. And I think that uh, hopefully says a lot. And that's actually my biggest pitch when we're recruiting new employees is I say, hey, look, you know, just talk to the current ones that we have. Like, I don't lose, you know, employees too often. Like, I really, you know, try to take care of them. So I'm, I'm, I'm very passionate about my team, you know, and the individuals on it.
1: I I might cut this part, but that's one of my biggest leadership philosophies is I may never achieve the results that the business always wants us to achieve, but I'm going to always try to put my team first. And the way that we're asking them, squeezing them, pressuring them, because ultimately this isn't the last thing I'm going to ever do. And I want to have those people surround me in the future and know that when I call them, they're like, yeah, you're the guy that did this for me. So absolutely. I would move states, move companies, do things like that. So it, uh, it you're touching my heart by uh, going down <laughs> and saying, saying that. Um, our last one is if you could sit down and eat a bowl of ice cream with anyone dead or alive, who would it be and why?
0: Uh, you know, so the fun part of me is always Justin Timberlake on this answer. If it's someone living, uh, not cool. Um, you know, from the, the not alive side, um, you know, it probably, I'm obsessed with like the Hamilton thing. So it'd probably be like sitting in on, uh, you know, those little uh, meetings that they had right with a bowl of ice cream and just kind of seeing what they actually talked about. I mean, did they really, you know, the musical, paints this like they had dinner and changed the world or changed the U S like it, that would, that would be where my mind would be right now is, you know, uh, flying the wall with my screen, just, you know, hearing those crazy conversations about, you know, move, you know, over, over food, moving the whole capital and, you know, and this and stuff. So that, that'd be where I'm at today. Uh, just because, uh, you know, anyone that knows me or watching that, so I'm obsessed with the Hamilton, uh, stuff. So, um, that'll be my answer today.
1: I really want to nerd out with you on that because I always think about that too. These people that change the world and they do these little actions, do they know that it's part of the bigger plan, that this action is going to lead to something seven steps from now, or do they just do this action knowing that it's moving them towards that goal and the decision that happens seven steps from now just was, was coincidence kind of thing. And I don't know, I think about that in my day-to-day life of doing things and saying things that hopefully progressed me to there, but not knowing if that's going to fit into the broader journey. So I I like that answer. I like that.
0: answer. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And you know, I'll save your audience. I won't sing any of the songs this time, (laughs) but if if I'm on again, I'll, I'll lead with a a little Hamilton rap for you. I
1: love it. I love it. I like the, I like it. And if anybody hasn't seen it, it's definitely worth the watch. The hype is real. Yes. Well, Matt, fantastic conversation. I'm glad we got to got to spend the time together this morning. If our listeners wanted to find out more about you, or even um, sign up for some of your services or become a client, where's the best place we could send them?
0: Uh, go to our site obrisk.com and get a hold of me through there. Uh, really, my favorite place is uh, pick your favorite social media. Uh, I'm under my my name. I, I think uh, I think I have it under Matthew Sudica because I think I like the way Matthew looks. Uh, when it's thing out instead of math, but, uh, yeah, find me on social media. There's not many Sudicas out there. Um, send me a message, connect with me. Let me know you found me on this podcast and yeah, we're always looking for good people to work with. So, uh, happy to send an open invite to anybody listening that wants to, you know, come chat with us or we can help them out. Perfect. And
1: this won't be the last time you're on the show because you teased us with a Hamilton rap. So we're going to have to have you back on soon.
0: Fair enough. Fair enough. Thanks for having me.
1: Thank you for listening to Ice Cream with Investors. If you like what we serve you here, it would mean the world to me if you would like, subscribe, and leave a review on your favorite podcast app.